Open your Bibles, if you would, as you turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. If you'll excuse me while I place my phone on silent. That's called subtlety. Hebrews chapter number 11. Look with me if you would. We'll start reading in verse number 1. We'll make our way all the way to our text for this morning, which is verse number 7. Word of the Lord there says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which the, he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Father, we ask that you would increase our faith this morning. Lord, that you would do something in and among us, Father, that would call attention away from ourselves, call attention away from this world, and put it solely on the person of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to realize where we are in this walk and give ourselves wholly to a life of faith. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We live in a day not unlike that of Noah. Uh, the writer of Hebrews gives to us a glimpse as uh, at the pre-flood uh, heroes of faith in these first seven verses. Leading up to Abraham, which we hear a lot about Abraham, you know, when we read through the Pauline epistles, we find Abraham mentioned and his uh, uh, example of faith uh, mentioned over and again. One of the things that we uh, sometimes forget, though, is that there were people of faith before Abraham, right? And here we have uh, the writer of Hebrews giving to us these pre, uh, pre-flood examples of faith and sort of caps them off with various aspects of faith. Uh, we looked at Abel, and with, uh, with Abel we saw the way of faith, and that is a life of worship, and we saw how he took uh, his faith into his uh, very act of worship. Uh, we saw Enoch, the walk of faith, 
and his pursuit was a close personal relationship with God. I love the term walking with God. You know, there there are some people that you are around, and there are other people that you walk with. You know, if I said, "Hey, take a walk with me," hey, why don't let let's walk together? Let's. It's a whole different ball of wax. My former pastor would put his arm in my arm. We'd be I'd be walking down the hall or something. And if he wanted to talk to me, he'd put his arm in mine and he'd pull me close and he'd say, let me tell you something. I can remember a time where I was walking down. I had my uh, I had my duties, right? And I had my Bible under my arm and I was at the church and it was time for me to go take care of my responsibilities at the church. And I was making my way down the aisle and he just come beside me, put his arm in mine and he said, slow down and turn around. I slowed down and I turned around only to see my wife coming with the kids and a baby carrier and a baby bag on the other shoulder. And it just, it just, uh, he walked with me and he talked with me and he reprimanded me, right? And so to walk with someone, there's that intimacy, there's that personal touch. Then we have with Noah. This is the evidence of faith or maybe the outcome of faith. We're going to take a look this morning at what Noah gives to us by way of example in faith. And, and I think sometimes, uh, sometimes we look at a lot of these different stories in the Scriptures and we lose sight of what's being said. And this is going to be one of those type of passages that... Uh, create a lot of questions. And we're going to be going back. If you want to keep your hand or take an offering envelope out and slide it in the book of Hebrews and then jump back to uh, uh, the book of Genesis chapter number 6. And this is one of those passages that that calls sometimes a lot more questions. And uh, I, I don't want necessarily uh, anyone to be distracted um, uh, by these things. I think it's I think questions are wonderful. Um, but I'm one of those, my mind, uh, uh, those questions, they sometimes take over and I completely lose sight of what I'm doing. And so if you have any more questions, feel free to write them down, come back to those at, a, at another time. But because of this passage carrying so many questions, uh, I'm going to attempt to deal with the exposition, a basic exposition of, of Genesis chapter number six here. And then we'll go to the application that we find in the book of Hebrews. And so look with me, if you would, Genesis chapter number 6, for an accounting of Noah. And perhaps one day we'll go back and we'll do an in-depth study in, in the book of Genesis for a little bit more. But today, I'd like to restrict our study to this portion of the book of Genesis. Look with me, if you would, verse number 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and bare children unto them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. 
And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing uh, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to reread with me. Can you read that verse number 8 along with me? Because if we only read the first seven verses, there might be a little bit of a a sad portion of this, but then we find here in verse number 8. Read along with me. Ready? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's beautiful to me. That's beautiful to me. Now, here's what I kind of want us to think about. How, how we can obey when it seems so difficult. How we can obey something that the Lord has asked us to do or perhaps has asked us to not do. But when things seem so difficult, when times seem so rough, how can we still obey? It's not always easy to obey, is it? It's not always the easiest thing when the Bible says to do this or to not do that. It's not always the easiest thing, but it's kind of simple, isn't it? I mean, it's just the Bible says do it, do it. The Bible says don't do it, don't do it. Simple. But sometimes it can be difficult. It can be very difficult. Looking back here, uh, it, it starts off there, verse number 1 of chapter 6. says, and it came to pass when men began to multiply. This simply means that I'm going to do the best that I can to go through this text and try to pull out some of those trouble areas that many people maybe struggle with. Uh, And so I'm I'm going to try to give just a cursory look at all this. Uh, But it came to pass, or so it was, uh, most historians place the ark around 1,600 years after the Garden of Eden. And so it's taken a good good bit of time uh, since Adam and Eve up into this moment. And so it, it says, it came, and so basically next, next it was uh, that uh, uh, men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. Everybody, you know, th- think about this for just a minute. Aren't you glad that daughters are born? If it was just a group of guys running around this place, it'd be a boring place. Probably smell funny, and it wouldn't be that good looking. Just telling you. But it talks about this uh, uh, this being that there were women, there were uh, daughters born unto these men. But then it says something interesting in verse number 2. It says, And that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all that they chose. This, these, uh, these words here for son of God, it's the Hebrew, Benaha Elohim. Now, maybe that means nothing, nothing to you. Maybe it means a lot to you. But the Bena being sons and then of, Ha, Benaha Elohim, it came to pass that these sons of God took daughters for wives. Basically, what it's saying. But the question comes in so often about this who are those sons of God? 
Many people want, uh, want to make it sound like it's uh, 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 the angels were coming and they were taking wives of, of uh, uh, humans, women. Uh, some will take it to mean that it was uh, the children of Seth taking wives of the children of Cain. Uh, I, I don't really land on either one of those. Um, if you notice... Uh, sons of God being Benaha Elohim, if you keep your hand here and then look over in Psalm 82, I want you to see uh, this word This word Elohim. It is one of God's names, but look in the book of Psalm, chapter 82, and I want you to see another use of this same word. Psalm 82 is uh, one that Jesus himself quoted. And if you look down at verse 6, he is, the, for actually, let's, let's take this in context so we don't mess anything up. Look at verse number 1 with me, if you would. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked Selah? Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the uh, afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not, not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men. And fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Now take this for what it's saying. It begins at right out, right at the start that God is standing in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods, or those who are in high position. You'll notice that in our in our Bibles it is a lowercase g. It is not referring to actual deity. But here we have, even in verse number six, ye are gods. It's that same word, Elohim. It can be used in reference to God as the mighty one or the one who basically is in charge, the one who holds authority. In other ways, it's also used in reference to those who are in authority. You are magistrates, judges. If you read Psalm 82 in its uh, context, you notice what it's talking about. It's talking about people who are supposed to be judging on behalf of the Lord, and they are not judging right. They're taking bribes. They're acting wrong. They're not doing justice. They're evil. They're not good judges. And so this is the type of word that we're dealing with back here in Genesis going back again to the book of Genesis, chapter number 6, that the sons of God. Now, this sons of God, I believe, is a little more uh, pointed not to angelic beings, but the ones who were the children of the one who was in authority. Now, just to say that they came from the line of Seth versus coming from the line of Cain, I don't think that you have enough uh, uh, to really support that claim. But what I believe is being said here is that those who were following after God began to take wives of those who were not. And so those who were seeking after God, if, if you have children, 
And perhaps your, uh, your child is, is at an age where they're getting ready to marry and you want them to marry a born-again child of God. But they start to see, and here's this young man who is, who is at the stage where he's, he has grown, he has, uh, he, he, it's time for him to start off on his own life. And you remember Samson, what does he say? He says, go get me a, a, a wife over there, one of those Philistine women. I want that one. That's the one I want. What were they doing? They were looking only at the outward appearance. And so these sons of God, notice what it says saw the daughters of men and that they were fair. But it doesn't just stop there. It says, and they took them wives of all which they chose. You see this, uh, it could be uh, in reference to um, uh, polygamy. Some uh, theologians say that this was actually uh, more of a uh, polygamy type of an issue than anything else. The best understanding here is that these men uh, were, were seeking wise, but they were not seeking based on spiritual context. Now, this is a difficult thing for us to swallow sometimes. We want to skirt issues like this. But I'm here to let you know that the Bible is very clear on who we should and should not marry. It's very clear on it. More on that here in a moment. But this daughters of men, not only of the line of Cain, but just in general, I believe. Again, they were looking at the outward beauty. They took of them wives of all that they chose, indicating a fleshly direction. They wanted, they took. They wanted, they got. And I'm trying to help us to understand and paint the picture of the type of day and time in which Noah lived. It didn't matter how many wives the individual had. It didn't matter what he was doing. It didn't matter who she was, how she was. Nothing mattered. The only thing that mattered was he saw, he liked, he got. Does that sound anything like what we have today? I want you to understand we're not very far from Noah's day. But let's look a little bit further into this because that's not the only problem that we run into. Now, most likely, Cyril of Alexandria, Theodoret, Augustine, Jerome, uh, Keel, Havernick, um, Murphy, Corey, Lang, Wadsworth, Calvin, these are just, just to name a few commentators that, will, that take this understanding that it was well-respected uh, Sethites who began to take Canaanites, uh, Canaanites, not Canaanites, Canaanites, as wives and do what felt good rather than doing what was right. This is the understanding that they've got with it. Now, this is this idea in and of itself, this, trans, uh, this understanding or interpretation of the text is not without its own problems. But in studying, it's the one that has the least... Uh, or the most likely, the least amount of problems to it. But I want you to see something that comes next in this. Verse 3 says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. You notice that little word, strive. 
Have you ever had somebody that you just tried really, 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 really hard to get along with? You know, the one that they, you walk in and you're happy and everything's going great and then all of a sudden you see them and you just, your whole day is just gone and you're like, oh, this is going to be such a difficult day. I can tell right now I've got my work cut out for me. Yeah. Some of you all act that way when I walk in, right? You're like, oh, dear Lord, there he is again. Strive. And you have to, you have to really strive to get along with them. I think sometimes we really make God strive with us. When God says to do something and we don't do it, and he says, all right, I have to remind him again. Son, I need you to do this. Son, I need you to do this. Son, I need you to, okay, <laughs> we're going to try this one more time. There's a limit. I don't think people want to hear that and they don't want to talk about that, but there is a limit to God's long-suffering striving. There's a limit to that. Now it says it's not always going to keep going. Notice what else it says in here. Uh, for that uh, he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. God's tired of them living and having to strive with them for that long. He says, we're going to shorten this up for them. They need to make decisions a little faster. But then notice verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, let's be careful for a minute. A lot of people want to say that these 20-foot tall beasts only lasted for a certain amount of time. And then after that, there was no... The Bible says they were there after that too. But this idea of giants, it's the word Nephilim. The word Nephilim is from the Hebrew word nephal, which means to fall upon. Those who would fall upon. Now, I guess we could take this to mean it was, so, you know, the taller a person is, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? Maybe you can take it from that perspective. But a lot of commentators will take it to mean it was people who were so powerful and they would come upon people and they would fall upon people in a very vile way. And so you can take it to mean giants, in the physical sense, but it can also simply mean those who were, let's, let's say it this way, uh, J.C. Penney was a giant of a man. Uh, Billy Graham was a giant. And see, we can use that same word in, a, in another way, but not in the Nephilim sense. Attila the Hun was a giant. Think about that for a minute. It was nothing. It, when you knew Attila the Hun was coming to town, you got out of the way, right? If you, if you didn't, he would fall on you, right? And so this Nephilim, there's no indication uh, that these were the results. There's, there's no indication that these were the results of the previous mentioned unions. Notice the wording that is found here in verse number 4. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children of them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. The Nephilim were there before the sons of God took the daughters of men. 
So there's no, some will say that because these sons of God took daughters of men as wives, it was angels having relations with human women, and because of that, you had giants. That doesn't work with the syntax that's, that's given to us here. It doesn't work. These are two separate things. Now, I, I warned you beforehand this was going to be a little bit different. But it could mean those of large size or stature, similar to what we find in Numbers 13, verse 33, in reference to the giants when the Canaanites uh, were, uh, when the uh, Jews spied out the Canaanite land and said they're, they're giants. They, they, they could have easily been taken in military combat, is what they were saying. Now, the heathen unions, though, I want you to note that, these sons of God, daughters of men, and they bear children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Now, I want us to understand what is being said here because it is right coupled with God saying everybody is wicked. And so these men of renown were not good. These men of renown were not people who were doing great and mighty things in the name of Christ. These men of renown, these men of old, these mighty men were probably doing some pretty evil things because if it's bad enough for God to say, I'm sick and tired of putting up with this stuff, I'm wiping them all out. I mean, think about it for just a minute. Look at the evil that is around us. And God is still long-suffering. It had to be pretty doggone bad. These men of old, these mighty men, this is the word that we get from the, from the name Gabriel is from the Hebrew word Gabor. We have, maybe you've heard of El Gabor, the mighty God. The word for Gabor is the same word used in reference to Goliath being the champion of the Philistines. It's also the word that is used in reference to David's mighty men or heroes. These were the heroes of the day. Think about the heroes of today. Jerome and I were talking about this not too long ago. Kids today, their heroes, the Joker, Harley Quinn, the villains. When did we go from good old Adam West's Batman in the purple and gray tights And he was just a nice guy, just trying to do good and trying to solve some crimes and trying to help people and save people. And the the villains were villains. They're evil. Don't cheer them on. To today where we have movies dedicated to, well, you just got to know where that villain came from. He had a disturbed childhood. He's a nice guy deep down. He's okay. I know he slit your mom's throat, but he's a nice guy. No, he's evil. Where did we, where have we come in our day and time where the heroes are evil? I mean, just look at Batman today. I mean, my goodness. Bat- I mean, people are like, well, we went to church and heard about Batman and the Joker. Just give me a break. Okay, you watch TV too. Back off. If you, now, if you're sitting there going, I don't know who he's talking about, then we can talk, okay? But you know who I'm talking about. I mean, this the, the new Batman, he's a jerk. You wouldn't want you wouldn't want your daughter dating him. 
He's a jerk. This dark, deep, evil character. I'm Batman. Unless you're watching the Lego Batman. Now, that guy's just cool. Yeah. But anyway. But they have, they were men of renown, mighty men. They were people's heroes. Think about the heroes of today. Oh, I love this guy. I love this girl. Oh, man, this, these people are awesome. Have you looked at their life recently? That's your hero? No, my friend. But these heathen unions between the people who were considered sons of God, they had married girls who all they were looking for was something to look at. They didn't care what was on the inside. And they brought about these generations after generations after generations that got further and further and further away from God. My friend, I'm here to tell you, and, and I'm not a big fan of this uh, courtship witnessing. You know, uh, I'm trying to lead him to Christ, so we're going to be, we're going to date. And we're, I'm not a big fan of that. It doesn't work. And so in looking at all of these things, notice what verse 5 says then. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sat down to try to find a movie with my daughter yesterday. We were flipping through and it was like, nope, we can't watch that. Nope, we can't watch that. Nope, we can't watch that. It's just, it's like every time I find it, it's like, nope, evil, 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 evil. Why do we even have this thing? Now, let's look at some application in this because I think it's important for us to notice a few things. Note verse 6 as we enter into the application portion because it's important for us to see some things. Verse 6 says, It repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him in His heart. Now, this is another one of those areas. God didn't say, I made a mistake. I never should have made man. That's not what he said. But it hurt him. It repented him. It grieved him to a point. It, it, it grieved him to a point where he says, I've got to do something about it. This is repentance today. We are walking along. Now, I'm talking about those who are born again by the Spirit of God. Already know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they are walking along in their life, and they have come to a place. They're reading and on their uh, Tuesday morning uh, reading time, and they come to a place that says something, and they go, Oh, oh, that's something that I'm doing wrong. The Bible reveals something to you, and you're looking at it going, oh, I am, I am messing up. I am, I'm failing in this area of my life. That's not repentance. Until you do something about it, that's repentance. 
Repentance is not acknowledging that you're sinning. Repentance is acknowledging it and then turning from it. That's repentance. But I think there's a lot of people today that are able, yep, I messed up there too. Yep, I failed there, but thank goodness God still loves me. I ain't going to do anything about it, but thank goodness God still loves me. That's not repentance. When God looked and he saw the evil and he said, putting up with it, putting up with it, putting up with it, not anymore. It's time to do something about it. But check the word that's also in there, and it grieved him in his heart. I want you to realize something. Grief is a word that has to carry love with it. We read about grieving the Holy Spirit of God. If yeah, let's 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 use it this way. My dad, uh, he would catch me and some of my friends uh, in the midst of something stupid. It wasn't very uncommon. But he would catch us, and I would, uh, of course, like every kid, I'd say, "Well, he was doing it too." He says, "I ain't his dad. I don't care what he's doing. I am your dad." You see, he could see somebody else doing something stupid, and he'd be like, "That's stupid." But if he saw me doing something stupid, it grieved him. Why? Because of love. You can't grieve someone that doesn't love you. You can't. And so we look at this oftentimes when we see, oh, God couldn't wait to wait. No, 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 no. He loved his creation. He loved them And it grieved him that his creation, what he had made in his image, had run from him. I don't think if you you couldn't say, you couldn't say, well, God didn't love them without realizing how long he had put up with it. But now I want you to note the day of Noah compared to our day. You see, Man is more concerned with the advancement of status and popularity than in the spiritual world. I'm talking about then, and I'm talking about today. People are more concerned with how many likes, how many followers, how many this, that, and the other, how many friends they've got on Facebook. I've got 4,723 friends on Facebook. I don't even know that many people. They're worried about the popularity. This is what they were worried about back then. I want what makes me feel good, not what's right. I'm here to tell you, some of the stuff that is in today, it's not popular to take a biblical stance. I'm tired of being asked by so-called born-again Christians whether it's right for one type of individual to marry another type of an individual. I'm done with it. If you're born again by the Spirit of God, the only thing you need to worry about is what God's Word has to say on the subject. It doesn't matter anything else, and we need to quit worrying about what uh, what Washington, D.C., or what some starlet in Hollywood, or whoever it may be, uh, thinks about the situation. We need to stand on what's right and do what's right, regardless of how unpopular it might make us. Verse 
I want you to understand something. There's only one stipulation, biblically speaking, there's only one stipulation in marriage. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't matter what color you are. Don't matter what nationality you are. What matters is that you are equally yoked with another believer. That's it. According to the Word of God, there are only two people groups, saved and unsaved. That's it. Don't ask me if it's okay for a little black boy and a little black girl, a little white girl, a little black white boy. Don't ask me about that. It means nothing to me. Is he saved? Is she saved? Is she a child of God? Is he a child of God? That's all that matters. It's time we get biblical on this. Quit dealing with the other things. Uh, How can a marriage be pleasing to God when the individuals are not pleasing to God? It can't happen. Well, I, I think it'll be okay. I mean, my, my daughter is marrying someone who's not a Christian, but I think it'll be all right. That marriage is not pleasing to the Lord. Can't be. When it's against His Word, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. I understand... All that was going on in that day versus this day, these were powerful people pushing their agendas, similar to today. If you're not on board with the elite, you have no say in the matter. People say, well, who do you think you are to say who can and cannot get married? Me? I'm nobody. And I ain't saying who can and can't get married. He did. And that's where we rest. All that, let's start to make our way back around third base here. Note what's said in Genesis 6, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to see the emphasis of that verse. It's not on Noah. It's on his finding grace in his eyes. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah did what was right. Keep looking down. uh, If you continue to read down through, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. You see that? He was just. It says that he was perfect or he was blameless. See, scriptural... Holiness is not about faultlessness, it's about blamelessness. Catch that. Scriptural, for you and I to be holy as He is holy, we live lives not faultless, but blameless. And here's the difference. Faultlessness is doing something wrong, uh, not doing something wrong. If I do nothing that is sinful, if I do nothing that is wrong, then I am faultless. That's not what we're talking about when we say we're blameless. Blameless literally means this, uh, that always the result of following God, in other words, learning from and striving not to repeat it. 
In Scripture, blamelessness is always coupled with following God. Always coupled with following God. The person who is blameless is blameless not because they're faultless, but because they're following Him. They see their faults, they address their faults, and they strive to not continue in their faults. Was Noah a perfect man in our eyes? No. He had fault. The Bible says he was blameless. Why? Because when he saw his sin, he recognized his sin, he owned up to it, and moved on, continuing to walk with God. Let's look at just a couple more things in this. Just by way of application here, I guess you could say. Noah was warned of God. You and I, my friends, have been warned of God. People say, well, if God spoke to me, I'd listen just like Noah did. He spoke. Are you listening? He spoke. People were kind enough to write it down so you knew what he had to say. Are you listening? Well, if God spoke from from the heavens to me just the way he did Noah, stop. You wouldn't know that God had spoken to Noah if it wasn't for someone writing it down for you. Are you listening? Realize this, just like with the life of Noah, Noah had had something that seemed impossible. You want me to do what? You want me to build a boat? God does not give impossible demands and then leave you to figure it out himself. Rather, he enables you to do it. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is the one working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Uh, 2 Peter 1.3 uh, says that his divine, his, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I can't live a godly life. I can't live this way. I can't live. Yes, you can. God has given you everything that pertains to that. Well, uh, I can't do all the things that God wants me to do. Yes, you can, because he is dwelling in you, working in you to help you do these things. Uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Look at the Hebrews chapter 13 toward the benediction of this book. Hebrews chapter number 13. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He doesn't call you to do these things and then leave you to try to figure it out Himself. He says, do it, and I'm going to be with you the whole way, making sure that you've got the ability to do it, making sure that you've got the supplies to do it. God doesn't give these impossible demands. And so the question is not whether or not God enables us to succeed. No, the question is not whether or not God has given you all that you need to live this type of a life. No, the Bible makes it clear 
that you have all you need to be holy. Here's the question. Are you willing to accept and believe that God desires for you to succeed? Are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to believe it? Well, then it's time for us to quit making excuses. It's time for us to quit saying that we can't do this or we can't do that. Look, Noah was warned, we too are warned. Now, while the world ignored the coming judgment, Noah built. And let me ask you something. Who survived? The ones who were insulting the man who was standing on what God said? Or the one who heard and did? Let's look at just a few questions to ask ourselves here. What about you? Let me ask you this. Have you taken the warnings of God seriously? Have you taken these seriously? When he says the limit, do you take it seriously? When he says we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I had heard a man one time say he was a birthright Quaker, so he didn't have to get saved. His parents took care of that for him. No. I don't want my kids believing what I believe just because I believe it. I want them believing the truth. And so am I as a father doing everything in my power to equip them how to think for themselves, how to actually study, how to find the truth. A lot of us know how to study the Bible, but are we teaching the generation to come? Noah listened, and he made preparation. Now, this is where we, again, kind of mess things up. Noah didn't hear God and say, hey, honey, we're going to die. I mean, he believed God, right? (laughs) So you're going to wipe everything out, but you need me to build a boat Yes, we're all going to die. I believe you. And he didn't even go, okay, I believe you, and I'll make sure to tell everybody else about it. No, he believed, he told, and he made sure to make preparation. What are you doing to prepare? Now, generally speaking, we get to this type of a, a thing, and we, we're thinking, okay, so... I need to ensure in my heart and in my life that I am ready to face judgment. Yes, you do. But you also need to do everything that you can to ensure that those around you are ready to face judgment. Noah didn't just build a John boat. Well, I can get me on it. I'll be all right. But I'm afraid that's what a lot of us do, spiritually speaking. We're building a lot of spiritual canoes. And just get me in it. No, I want to build something that my whole family, and they can invite their friends, my extended family can come get in. Why in the world do you do that with your kids, Andy? Because I want them to know. 
Why in the world don't you enjoy these kind of things? Why do you keep going to church every single Sunday? Why do you keep going to church every single time that they have something going on? Don't you want to take a break? Don't you want to give a, give just a little bit of a rest? Why you got to read the Bible all the time? Why do you want your kids reading the Bible all the time? Why do you have a, a, a Bible shows? Why are you watching that television series? Why are you doing these kind of things? It doesn't make sense. Why don't you let your kids watch these kind of movies? Why don't you let your kids watch, uh, play these kind of video games? Why don't you let your kids have these kind of devices, have these kind of situations? Why don't you let your kids go and do this? Why don't you let you, because I'm building an ark. And I think it's time for us to take seriously that God has warned us that there's judgment coming. And we're sitting around going, yep, I believe it, but I ain't picking up a hammer. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> Judgment's coming. I don't know if my kids are ready for it. I have no idea if my neighbor's ready for it. But I believe it's coming. I think it's time for us to build some arcs. And not just building it for our own sake, but building it for their sake too. And whose acceptance do you desire? Well, my friends think I'm crazy because I don't let my kids. I'm, my friends think I'm crazy because I teach my kids. Really? I didn't know that we would all stand before them. What does God want you to do with your kids? What does God want you to do with your neighbors? Well, you know, my, my neighbor will think I'm crazy. I didn't know you stood accountable to them. Well, my political party didn't know they were the end of it. It's him. It's all him. I want you to note something here. Salvation is a free gift. And we've been making our way through the book of Hebrews here. And I want you to understand something that is very pivotal with what the writer of Hebrews is teaching us here. Salvation is free to you, to me. But a true life of faith, the life of a disciple, is going to cost you something. I'm sure some of you, maybe even while we were going through this study, some things came to your mind that you need to let go of in your life. There's some evil things that are going on in our world. We don't want to be a part of that. I'm reminded of the little girl. She had her hand stuck in a vase. Her mom comes and tries to get the hand out of the vase and it's stuck it's stuck real good her dad comes along and he's taking he's twisting they've got butter out they've got soap out they've got grease out, and they're trying to get this little kid's hand out of this vase and the dad's talking to her they even take her to the doctor they can't do it we're just gonna have to cut it off and the dad's saying honey please just 
Make your hand as long as you can. Try to extend those fingers as long as you can so Daddy can slide this off. No, Daddy, I don't want to do it. Honey, just calm down. It'll be okay. I'm telling you how we can get you out of this situation. Just make your hand as long as you can. Reach those fingers for Daddy. No, Daddy, I don't want to do it. Finally, he was exhausted. He pulled out his wallet, took out a $5 bill and says, Honey, Daddy will give you this $5 bill if you will just make your fingers and your hand as long as you can. She says, But Daddy, if I do that, I'll drop my penny. She had her hand in there. And all she had to do was let go. There's a lot of people today holding on to this world's penny. God says, I've got millions. But I've got this friend I don't want to lose. He says, I've got something better. But but my son, he'll be mad at me if I tell him that he shouldn't date that girl. I've got millions. But if I, if I spend more time in the Word, I'm not going to have as much time on the golf course. I've got millions. True life of faith is going to cost you something. But can I tell you this? The cost can't be compared to the reward. Can't. God has called you. He has enabled you. Are you going to accept that? Or are you still holding on to a penny? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the example of Noah being willing to stand in an evil day, an evil time. Thank you for the example of him doing what was right regardless of the popularity. Thank you, Father, for your patience. Thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that Noah found grace. And Father, I wonder if you were to look at this world today to see all of its evil, to see the heart of man, would you notice me and that I would find grace in your sight as well? I pray, Lord, that you would touch hearts this morning. That you would call people to action. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.